me. And most of the other guys? I can tell you in two words, working stiffs. The average salary back then was 15 grand, less than a first-year high school teacher makes today. Working stiffs, get it? Just like George Will said in that book of his, only he talked about that like it was a good thing. I'm not so sure it was if you were a 30-year-old shortstop with a wife and three kids and maybe another seven years to go before retirement. Ten, if you were lucky and didn't get hurt. Carl Ferrillo ended up installing elevators in the World Trade Center and moonlighting as a night watchman. Did you know that? You did? Do you think that guy Will knew it or just forgot to mention it? The deal was this. If you had the skills and could do the job even with the hangover, you got to play. If you couldn't, you got tossed on the scrap heap. It was that simple and as brutal. Which brings me to our catching situation that spring. We were in good shape during camp, which for the Titans was in Sarasota. Our starting catcher was Johnny Goodkind. Maybe you don't remember him. If you do, it's probably because of the way he ended up. He had four good years, batted over 300, put the gear on almost every game. He knew how to handle the pitchers, didn't take any guff. The kids didn't dare shake him off. He hit damn near 350 that spring, with maybe a dozen ding-dongs. One as deep and as far as any I ever saw at Ed Smith Stadium, where the ball didn't carry well. Put out the windshield in some reporter's Chevrolet. <laughs> but he was also a big drinker. And two days before the team was supposed to head north and open at home, he ran over a woman on Pineapple Street and killed her just as dead as a dormouse, or doornail, whatever the saying is. And then the damn fool tried to run. But there was a county sheriff's cruiser parked on the corner of Orange, and the deputies inside saw the whole thing. Wasn't much doubt about Johnny's state, either. When they pulled him out of his car, he smelled like a brewery and could hardly stand. One of the deputies bent down to put the cuffs on him, and Johnny threw up on the back of the guy's head. Johnny Goodkind's career in baseball was over before the puke dried. Even the babe couldn't have stayed in the game after running over a housewife out doing her morning shop around. His backup was a guy named Frank Faraday. Not bad behind the plate, but a banjo hitter at best. Went about 150. No bulk which put him at risk. The game was played hard in those days, Mr. King, with plenty of fuck you. But Faraday was what we had. I remember DePono saying he wouldn't last long, but not even Jersey Joe had an idea how short a time it was going to be. Faraday was behind the plate when we played our last exhibition game that year. Against the Reds, it was. There was a squeeze play put on. Don Hoke at the plate, some big Hulk. I think it was Ted Klazuski on third. Hoke punches the ball right at Jerry Rugg, who was pitching for us that day. Big Clue breaks for the plate, all 270 Pollock pounds of him. And there's Faraday, just about as skinny as a flavor straw, standing with one foot on the old Deshola. You knew it was going to end bad. Rugg throws to Faraday. Faraday turns to put the tag on. I couldn't look. 
Faraday hung onto the ball and got the out. I'll give him that. Only it was a spring training out, as important in the great scheme of things as a low fart and a high wind. And that was the end of his baseball career. One broken arm, one broken leg, a concussion. That was the score. I don't know what became of him. Wound up washing windshields for tips at an Esso station and two come carry, for all I know. He wouldn't be the only one. But here's the point. We lost both our catchers in the space of 48 hours and had to go north with nobody to put behind the plate except for Gansey Burgess, who converted from catcher to pitcher in the early 50s. He was 39 years old that season and only good for middle relief, but he was a knuckleballer and as crafty as Satan, so no way was Joe DePuna going to risk those old